Amen. I wonder if we can come in our Bibles today to Luke chapter 24 and verse number 13 uh, through to 31. I want to share some thoughts uh, with you there and um, we'll see where we go. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13 to 31. Uh, Before we jump into uh, verse number 13 or this whole story, let's give a bit of context to, to this whole series of scriptures. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, and he's resurrected. And you have the women, <laughs> the women that have run to the tomb where they last saw him and he's not there and you have the church of jesus's day and age thanks mate you have the the church the disciples in jesus day in a state where they're perplexed where they're disorientated where they're confused and the women are running back to the church of that day shouting out Jesus is no longer in the place where we last saw him and I want to throw you into that context that you not only have the immediate disciples but every follower of Jesus right now is in a place where they're confused perplexed of what has unfolded and furthermore expecting the body of Christ to be in one location and the body of Christ is no longer in that place in that space and so we jump into the waters of this story with a people that don't know where Jesus is a people that are not standing on the mountaintop with their five-year plan feeling secure feeling confident but a people that don't know what to do don't know where to go and we pick it up in verse number 13 now behold two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem let's just stop there in verse 13 which was seven miles from Jerusalem I want to submit this to you, that the road to Emmaus is walking away from Jerusalem. The road to Emmaus is where I believe on a global scale, the body of Christ have both been, are currently journeying, and we're still playing out this story as a people. And you've got the disciples are in this place where they're walking away from a familiar space. They're walking away from the epicenter of religion. They're walking away from the place where their eschatology was wrapped up, where they felt the king would reign from, where everything that begun from Jerusalem would end in Jerusalem. You've got a people that are dealing with uh, expectations that no longer look like they're going to be met. You, you're walking with a people that, that 
once saw Jerusalem as a consecrated space, and now it's a desecrated space. In fact, Jerusalem now is a crime scene. It's where Jesus was betrayed. It's where Jesus was flogged. It's where Jesus was, was persecuted. And Jerusalem, the place where their eschatology was wrapped up, that this is the place where the king is going to rule from, is now no longer a safe place. It's no longer a familiar space. And they're walking away from that familiar space, the place where they expected he would be, the place where they expected their destiny would unfold. And in their minds, they're walking away from God. Are you here today? Because their destiny and their expectation was locked up within Jerusalem. So I want you to put yourself in their shoes because their shoes today are where a lot of people in the nations are at right now. Where their expectations, where their paradigm has been, God is no longer. And you have a lot of people, myriads of people in the world right now that love Jesus with all of their hearts, but many are carrying a despondency because of church, a despondency in regards to their expectations in their Jerusalem. What is or what was once a familiar space, a space where they felt destiny was going to be unlocked in their lives, or a space where they felt that they were, they were going to be launched from, a lot have walked away from. And it's not just church, but Jerusalem, for a lot of us, can become that place where our map, our GPS was orientated, and yet God is right now walking in a different direction. And He doesn't and He will not rest upon our map, but He's creating a new map for us to walk out of and onto and begin to follow Him. And a lot of people are crying out against the devil, against religion, and kind of where the, where the church has not met them and where religion hasn't met them and we're kind of caught up in what hasn't happened and the whole time God is saying, but you need to shift your eyes off that and you need to know that I'm still God. I'm the God with the map. I'm the God that has the divine blueprint. And if you begin to open your eyes and look towards the new space that I'm leading you to, the path is going to open up security is going to come that space where you feel safe no longer unfamiliar spaces where you don't feel familiar anymore that's going to begin to change i want to submit this to you that jesus will go anywhere to find you but he won't remain in the same place or space that he found you in order to keep you Sometimes our interpretation of a God of love and a God that will never leave us nor forsake us blinds us because we wrap it up in our humanistic mindset that creates a false map. And we're saying, where are you, God? Where are you heading, God? Why have you left me, God? And the whole time, God is closer than we would ever, ever imagine. It's just that he has changed location and he is drawing us to a new space, standing in a new 
new appearance that he wants us to become familiar with. And I believe across the nations of the earth right now that God is unsettled and has unsettled the nest that has become familiar to us. We can become so human, the human side of us, the habitual side of us becomes so familiar with Jesus in our space, within our context of prayer, within our context of worship, within our context of church, within our context of life. And I want to say this to you, that I know with all of my heart right now that he has relocated himself in the earth. And there's a new chapter that is unfolding right now. We are, we are poised right now on the edge of one of the most significant moves of God in the earth that the church has ever seen. But often our expectations are wrapped up with God of revival coming in, 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 in the way he has in the past. A, a God of reformation and revival that has come in the past in this certain capacity. And he's saying that was good. The tools for that day were good. But I'm a God that is an unchanging changer. I'm a God of truth that is progressive. I'm a God that is moving you to a new space because in that new space there are new tools. There is new technology. There are new downloads. There are new software that God wants to upload. And so God doesn't want us to get content with the truth that we have but he wants us to begin to adjust and provide leadership because there is always tension within the truth that we discover and in that tension there are prophetic people that are rising in the earth that are not settling a church that is not settling and saying you know we're not going to stay in the confines of Jerusalem we're not going to stay in the confines of what is familiar, those spaces that we've become familiar with. God is wanting us to begin to audit those spaces. Is God in those spaces again? Because he's progressively unfolding something beautiful about himself in the earth today. And I believe that the prophetic church, the prophetic people are coming to the forefront to have eyes and hearts to see where he is moving in the earth in a new capacity. And so he allows us to nest for a certain time. Then he invites us to come to our future. He allows us to nest for a season, to get secure in love, to get healed at that point. But then he begins to unsettle us and he invites us to our future. And I believe with all of my heart that the Lord himself, not the devil, is unsettling the church so that Jerusalem will not hold us. Because even in that day, there were still those followers of Christ that were standing on the walls and around the walls and within the city still waiting for Jesus and he'd left that place. But there were two on the road to Emmaus. And I believe with all of my heart, Hebrews 12, 26 says this, and at this time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more that I will shake not only earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot, what cannot be shaken will remain, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Now, I'm not advocating that I, I, I profess or know God in his totality, but I'm on that journey. But I know one thing, he's not a God that's about judgment because he placed those judgments on Jesus. He's a God of love. He's a God of strong love. And that shaking that is taking place now is by the hand of a God of love. 
I'll explain it this way, that when I was a kid, about 12 years of age, we had this huge jar of lollies. But I had this one lolly that I was obsessed with. And all those lollies combined together would stick together. And for me to find that one licorice lolly that I was devoted to, I had to shake the crap out of that jar. And I would shake that thing and I would put my hand in there and I wasn't trying to disturb it because I wasn't happy with that jar. I love that jar. I'm invested and devoted in that jar, but there is something on the inside that is treasure above all those other lollies to me and I've got to unsettle the surrounding. I've got to unstick those that are stuck so that I can get to the treasure. You see, that's what God is doing in the earth right now. He's not kind of standing there saying, well, you guys suck because of your past sins. And therefore, I'm going to judge the crap out of you guys. He's not doing that at all. He's shaking things because he says, I want to unearth the treasures. I want to unearth. And so there's been many prophets and prophetic churches in the last four or five years that have gone through a heck of a shaking. But treasures are starting to rise. Revelations starting to come forth. Insights are beginning to sprout right now. The page of the previous chapter for a lot of us is turning right now. The crap of yesterday is kind of behind us. We've crossed the threshold and our heels are now poised on the edge of what was. You see, back there we were crying out, help, help, help. But even our prayers have changed now. It's more about I can see, see, see. Like Job, I've come to that place. I've crossed the threshold and now my eyes see you. You see, as Christine was saying today about healing, sometimes we get stuck in that space and we become conditioned to praying a certain way. You know, and, that, and the God of that side of the line becomes familiar to us. But our prayers have to change now. Our messages have to change now. Even our worship and, and our life is beginning to change. We're not throwing it all out from the past, but there are certain things that are not going to work, certain ways that we're finding the way we pray and, and we approach Father right now. It kind of doesn't have the anointing on it like it did back then because we don't need the rescuing we did back then because right now we're standing in a new place. The Jordan's behind us now. The Red Sea's behind us now. And I want to announce to you prophets and prophetic people today that there is something new that is on the inside of you that's got to come out through a new express devotion to God. It can't come out. It could not come out in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's anything you've become familiar with or a nest in your life where your hopes and destiny and even eschatology, maybe doctrine, maybe friendships and whatnot. There's been a lot of unsettling, but it's all about get the treasure up, man. That favorite lolly's got to get in your gob. (laughs) Amen. My parents used to yell at me because at night they would say, because I was always called Pete, but if I was in trouble, it was Peter, my Aussie bogan parents. And they would hear me later in the night shaking it. You're not eating a lolly, are you? No. And I'd shake that thing. Wholly devoted to that licorice. Are you hearing me today? So we've got Jesus' church, which is just an example, a simple example, but a profound example. I travel enough and experience enough to know that there's been a lot of discontented people, perplexed people, inside and outside of the church 
you can't really be outside of the church because you are the church, but I'm talking about the local assembly, if I can say that. In verse 14, here we go. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they're on the road to Emmaus and they're having deep and meaningful DMs. They're having these deep conversations. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned, there's some keys here for this present time, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Notice this, that they're walking away from a familiar space and who was walking with them? But they're blind to see him and that's where a lot of the anxiety has kind of come because he will never leave you nor forsake you. You are his amazing treasure. But the reality is he's standing in a different form. He's walking with you and he's leaning in but their eyes were restrained from seeing him and God permits for a season so that the explorer, the discoverer, new eyes can be given to us. He allows for a season for our eyes to be restrained so that we learn to see from a different passage of our heart. And then he begins to bring it together. Amen. Hey, you see, they were destiny-minded, Jerusalem, king, rule and reign. But everything about Jesus in this journey is pilgrimage. Destiny is governed by outcomes, goals, and that's okay. But when they replace the culture of a pilgrim, you're going to get into distress and anxiety. And God is bringing back that Psalm 84, 5. Blessed are those whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What is pilgrimage? A pilgrim, unlike those governed by destiny, outcome and driven, pilgrims can celebrate the valley. Pilgrims can rejoice in the midst of mystery. I don't know what is unfolding in this time, but I'm learning. I'm learning. Pilgrims know that in order to journey, see it's not about the destiny, it's he is your destiny. It's about journeying with him. And so pilgrims understand the reality that though there's mystery to this Jesus right now that I'm trying to see, I know that I'm going to gain fresh sight. Why? Pilgrims have to go through unlearning in order to learn. And so they're on the road to Emmaus and they're journeying and the whole time he's there with them, but they're reasoning. And in that conversation, he is deconstructing some of the things that did prop them up, did keep them in the previous season, but now he is wanting to reconstruct them. And as we cross that threshold on the road to Emmaus, God is now, I believe, for a lot of prophetic people, it is a time of reconstructions to start to manifest. Those hidden blueprints, those things that God has on the inside of us are going to begin to break forth. Verse number 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse, uh, let's jump through to verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So it's not a happy conversation. It's a conversation about how perplexed they are, how let down they are in their mind's eye by Jesus. 
Why didn't we commit our life to another leader? We were following him faithful. We followed him in every space, trusting that this king would rule and reign one day and we would be by his side. Their conversations were not full of faith. Their conversations were full of doubt. They were painful conversations. They were not, you know, celebratory conversations, Lord Jesus. But you'll notice something. Here's the paradox. The church, the charismatic move will tell you, you've got to make sure your confession is on point for the, for the heavens to open up and manifest. You've got to make sure you are in faith, your faith. It's your faith that's got to be right so that your breakthrough will come. But I find the upside down kingdom is the opposite. It's not about your faith. It's about his faith. And you'll notice something that Jesus is not repelled by their conversation. Sometimes we don't want to have this vulnerable conversation and reveal our pain, reveal our perplexity, reveal our disorientation. Sometimes in church in Jerusalem, we can't talk like this because it's considered as doubt and unbelief. But you'll notice he said to them, what is the conversation that you guys are having? And though you're so sad. What is he doing? He's leaning in. You see, heaven is attracted to brokenness. Heaven is attracted even to our pain. Heaven is attracted to those times where we feel least full of faith. The five-year plan's gone, Jesus. I don't know where to go, Jesus. And he's going, Geronimo, let's go, heaven. Let's jump in there. We're still going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that closes the heavens. Jesus comes to the waters of baptism and is baptized, and the Bible says the heavens will open not for him, but to him. That means that what he did opened them. The Father just didn't do it for willy-nilly. But the reverse of that is in Genesis 3, where you see that they crept out for something they already had, (laughs) looking for more. And as a result thereof, their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. So what were the eyes open to that blind them from heaven? They became self-conscious, flesh-conscious, fear, insecurity, failure, my lack of, my inability... And it's all about my lack. And what's the first thing that they find hard on that side of their journey? To hear the voice of God. And I want to say to you, there are prophets coming forth right now. Prophetic people, prophetic churches. That have been in seasons of lockdown and imprisonment. But are coming out faceless people. With a voice. With a sound that is going to begin to break that narcissistic, religious, self-orientated, self-invested spirit and break open and circumcise God's people like never before to cause the heavens within them to begin to open. 
we're going to see that Elizabeth, the baby John, is going to begin to leap again as spiritual harmonics begin to take place again through the prophetic again, where the sound is not cynical, bitter. It's not the church is wrong, that person's wrong, this ministry's wrong, but there is a pure sound. It's called spiritual harmonics that are going to begin to break forth and cause what's in us to come up. It's going to break forth. It's going to break forth. Come on, it's going to break forth. I'm speaking about, and I'm speaking to, because I know you guys are a prophetic bunch, and you're carrying something. You've crossed over something. And so it's okay to have that conversation. It's okay to be vulnerable with one another. Religion would squash that conversation. Religion would say, why are you reasoning why are you concerned? Why are you talking about your pain in your past? Jesus elevates the conversation. He leans right in closer. He's getting closer now and it took pain. It took vulnerability. It took conversations of reasoning about this whole Jesus thing for him to lean in and then begin to speak to them. Before that, he was silent. Now he begins to speak. The voice is being released and he elevates the conversation. I want to bring it up because I'm going to reconstruct this conversation down the track. Road to Emmaus. Turn to someone and say, Road to Emmaus. Verse number 18. Can you hold a little bit more? Is that okay? Then one of those uh, whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, I love this, what things? <laughs> when we're exploring new spaces and places on the road to Emmaus, the first time we begin to dialogue with Jesus, it's almost like he's a stranger. Because he's not a stranger but he's appearing in a different form. There's a new element of him that he's revealing to us on the road to Emmaus. And he's causing us to begin to see something of him that they hadn't seen before. They hadn't had these conversations before. He's rabbi, teacher, future king. Now they're leaning in to his conversation as he leans into them. Wow, this guy cares, he's concerned with that conversation. Are you here today? And so when you and I move into uncharted territory, when we start to move out into the unknown, it'll seem like God's not there. It'll seem like everything around us in relation to Jesus is strange. And that's where the pilgrim eyes start to be formed. That's where mystery starts to take on a new form. That's where the real adventure and explorer that you and I are called to be starts to rise. You know, I love leadership. I love the propagation that comes, you know, from the house of God often in different circles that, you know, a leader has these certain traits. They're great readers. They're always upskilling. And I would say, cool. And, you know, it's about learning. It's about growing as you read and commit to these daily, weekly habits of 340 books a year to be the best leader. Here's my 
my concern with that, and I said that in a leadership meeting recently, but with all that learning, with all that learning you guys are doing, why is it still saying the same? Shouldn't we now have Brad standing before us saying, I've discovered something new about Jesus I didn't see before. That's called growth. <laughs> and I want to sit down at the table, the round table, and have a conversation about the doctrine that we once subscribed to. I don't think it's going to carry us in this next phase. And so we're learning at the tree of knowledge, but we're not actually being transformed. We're not actually growing. We're just caught in this holding pattern in the CEO mentality about upgrading, upskilling. And the whole thing is if we're really being upskilled and we are really learning, we would look at Jesus differently. We would see the Father differently. I'm not talking about throwing everything out we've learnt before, but I'm talking about taking the treasures of the past, but this discovery of what is present and beginning to unpack that. There's certain things that don't add up. And there's certain things that we need to have the conversation again within the church. Amen? Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today, this is the third day since it's all happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the term, a tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. God's relocating the body of Christ. He's relocating himself in the body on earth there's a shift there's a move that has been taking place it's not going to take place he's been migrating us shifting us and we've crossed that threshold as a company of prophetic people there is such thing as institutional blindness that can creep into any company or any organization including the church where the systems that you constructed to run the organization can then blind you from seeing the upgrades that are available and that's called institutional blindness and so in every new migration in every road to Emmaus where we're learning new things we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the tools that have changed for the new day and you'll notice something in their mind and it's called paradigm blindness was this we expected Jesus to redeem Israel. That's a half-truth. They were living under a half-truth. You see, the mandate of Jesus was not just to redeem Israel, it was to redeem mankind and even the oppressor, even those that murdered him, those that persecuted him, those that flogged him, you see, Israel were locked in, and sometimes as a church, we can be so non-kingdom minded that we become so locked in to Israel only. It's about our world, and the whole mindset of God is, for God so love the. You see, these guys, he's starting to chip away at their blindness. He's starting to chip away at the paradigm that they thought, this is the vision and the mandate of Jesus, and yet they had half of it. Yeah, I want to redeem Israel, but I want to redeem the entire world. In fact, the universe. I want to bring it under the new anointing called the Christ. Amen? What if the way we thought God would show up in our life has never been God's plan? Wow. They're the conversations I want to start to cultivate. And I'm having that. We're having that conversation on the train coming down 
What about our life, Lord? Where are we blind? Where is the paradigm that carried us to the point where we are now? It's been great. It's kept us. But where do we need to rethink? Where, where do we need to relook? Where are we blind in these areas? I wonder if the pain and the disillusionment was used by God to get them out of familiar spaces. And I wonder today if a lot of the pain that a lot of people in the body of Christ have been going through, God is not using it to reposition the body so that they can be in sync with what he's saying in this day and age. Amen. Let me submit this to you, that pain enlarges you to new possibilities. Pain enlarges you to new possibilities. Come on, we're on the tail end. A lot of us in the prophetic, we're on the tail end of a lot of pain we've gone through and disillusionment, but we are now enlarged. Our capacity has been enlarged in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's bring this thing to a close uh, this morning or this afternoon, this afternoon. Verse 28, then he drew near the village where they were going and he indicated that he, I love this, he indicated, this is the whole nature of the kingdom of God, he indicated to them that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Here's where the road to Emmaus causes us to land. Verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table. Everyone say table. As he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. Then, haha, then their eyes were open and they knew him. Hello, and he vanished from their sight. It's tricky, eh? He's a tricky God. You see, we're being brought back to the table, guys. We've been brought back to the love feast. We've been brought back to the simplicity of rediscovering who Jesus is uncongested. We've been brought back to the table where uh, I think Revelations. Uh, what is it, two, four, and five, around about then, he goes, he writes this beautiful letter to the, to the angel, to the messenger of the, the church at Ephesus, and he says, oh man, I'm so stoked by your faithfulness and by your willingness to labor and, and your exploits and that you've not put up with false apostles, and that's great. And he inserts this word, nevertheless. In other words, that's okay, but that's not where I'm at. I have this against you that you have left, not lost, you have left your first love. The word first there, protos, first in time, sequence, order, and position. So nevertheless, this is where my priority lies. This is where my heart is. First love can be translated love feast. And at every love feast, like in the book of Acts, they would have love feasts where they would break bread, where they would sit together in covenant conversations, exploring doctrine, exploring what just happened. Let's try and put a framework around this. Wouldn't it be great? We're in a meeting and you walk out and you go, I don't know what happens. We're going to call the elders together and try and find doctrine for that. <laughs> We've got to upskill. What just happened? We don't know. I was standing in a meeting on Wednesday night and honestly I said, Lord, bring me to a space where I don't know what to do. And I stood there at the edge of the cliff and I had all the preparations done, slides done, media presentation. I didn't know what to do. And I stood there and waited. 
and seconds turned into minutes and all of a sudden things just started to change and that wave came and we went into some unusual expressions of the Holy Ghost that I was kind of going, I hope this is you and not me. <laughs> People start repenting, coming down on their knees, not because of an altar call, People just crying out. I'm trying to speak and they're screaming off to the left, right. I'm thinking, that's cool. People testifying after certain things taking place. I want more of that, man. It's called the love feast, the table. And I love that this place is so full today, full, so much color. But yet in the midst of it, I was standing and I was going, yet it's so simple. (laughs) And I see the table. And I feel the table, and I feel that that is part of the DNA, the plumb line for you guys, never leave the table. You see, they were waiting for the throne, the red velvet throne in Jerusalem. But they're sitting in a little house, Emmaus, called Hot Springs, on the way to the Hot Springs, because he's going to comfort them with a new expression of himself. And they're going to break bread in their eyes, are going to be open and as their eyes are open the heavens will open to them and the limitation of the paradigms that they've carried are going to drop and they're going to feel like kids again as we do when we come deep into the heart and the presence of the chamber of God it's always back to the table it's always about the love feast it's always about that place of him and us The road to Emmaus, as I close, brings us back to the table. It declutters our faith. Simple and profound acknowledgement and and seeing of Jesus here. It recalibrates your point of reference. Things we've left, things we've let go of, things we've departed from, it's always coming back to that true north, coming back. But the entrance to it is not through glitter and glamour. It's on the road to Emmaus, wading through the perplexities, the the feelings of discouragement, and then finally we come to that table. The road to Emmaus resets our expectations and our dreams. Are you hearing me today? And finally, it causes us to reevaluate why am I here? What am I doing? I'd be a rich man if I had 20 bucks for every person in the last four years, including myself, that's kind of had to reevaluate. am I doing what you've called me to do? And I've had some of the most broken times in the last four years that I've ever had in my life. And here's the paradox. (laughs) I've had some of the most divine encounters in the midst of that brokenness. Some of the most unexpected healings in the midst of that that come from the most unusual sources that God placed in my life. But we're bigger. We're enlarged. Our capacity can hold more. But let's not leave the table. Let's stay at the table. Let's stay in that place. Father, we honour you and bless you. Lord, I pray that 
the weight of this conversation that we've had would sit in its own special way in the hearts uniquely of every man and every woman and every family in this place. We love paradox. We love this people, Lord. I honour you guys for the price that you've paid for your willingness to keep leaning into the wind and even those times where it feels like Jesus is asleep and he hasn't answered you <laughs> but you stayed and you remained and so I declare an abundance of his love at your table And we're honoured, Father, to call you Father. Jesus, we just take a moment before we physically close to say thank you for the divine exchange. It's a house of exchange. It's a place of exchange. You made that possible. And Holy Spirit, we value you. Each one of us, me above everyone here, I want to know and understand the fullness of who you are in me, who you are in us. Holy Spirit, we value and love you. Teach us. You upskill us. You upgrade us. Let the spirit of your leadership, Holy Spirit, is so strong and so tangible and so evident and manifested in the midst of this congregation. Those that maybe don't have that five-year plan or that sight, may you become real and evidence to them in a special way. And where our expectation has been in Jerusalem, we pull it out and we journey to the table, to the table. We want to thank you and honour you for all that you've done and all that you are currently doing in paradox. In Jesus' name, amen. How did you go? Is that right?